Praise God. Welcome to 2021. I believe that God has got great things in store for us. And I know that right now there might be a lot of anxiety. But what I want to encourage you to do is to make sure that your fear does not paralyze you. Make sure that fear does not paralyze you. And we're going to start off with a powerful series this year on getting things done. I believe that one of the premiums we need to place on our lives uh, as we live out our lives is really a premium on getting things done. We need to place a premium on getting things done. You see, we live in a society that has lots of thinkers, but very few doers. And I believe that the first thing to do is to focus on doing the word, doing the word. So I'm going to speak on this subject of doing the word today. And I believe that it's potentially life changing if you apply these principles. In other words, if you do them. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your presence uh, in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that we've made it to 2021. We thank you that your promises are so sure. We thank you that your word is perfect. And so we embrace you, Jesus, this year. And we thank you that it will be a year like no other. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Doing the word. If you look in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 22 to 25, I'm reading in the ESV. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. There are many people who are deceiving themselves today because they measure their spiritual progress based on the amount of word they've heard, the amount of sermons they've heard. All right. But the Bible here says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And what's important here to understand is that hearing is important, but it's important not to leave it at just hearing. But be also doers. Do the word that you hear. Deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And I want to say to you today that there's a blessing in doing the word that you have heard. Now, we've had powerful messages uh, last year, right? But how many of you are doing what you heard? You see, you can hear a series on divine healing and you can think to yourself, Oh, I'm a divine healer. I'm into divine healing because my pastor preaches on it or because I've listened to many messages on it or because I've bought those books on the subject. But I'm telling you right now, we're going to have to give an account to God based on what we've heard. You see, the measure of whether you've truly heard a message is in the doing. It's seen in the doing. What are you doing differently today? What am I doing differently today? Just because I taught a series doesn't mean that I'm doing it okay so each time I preach a message I have to look at myself and say Paul are you doing what you preached have I gone to another level in uh, praying for the sick in healing the sick what am I doing with the message that I've heard in John 17 verse 17 it says sanctify them this is Jesus as he's praying he says sanctify them by the truth your word is truth you see and the degree to which you'll be sanctified by God's word is the degree to which you are responsive.
to his word. You see, uh, the word sanctify is really holify. Okay, it comes from the same root word as holy. We're made holy by the truth, the word that we've received. But there's certain things we need to do for that word to be effectual in our lives. And that's what I really want to unpack um, with you this, this morning. We need to put a premium on getting things done. There is a blessing in having a bias toward action when it comes to the word. Anyone who's a great leader has a bias toward action. They're not just a thinker. They're not just a philosopher. They're someone who has a bias toward action. And I want to show you this in scripture. You see, it is possible to have knowledge, but not to do what you tell others to do. Right? It's possible to have knowledge, but not do what you tell others to do. And this incongruence between knowledge and practice was actually a characteristic of the Pharisees. They knew a lot, but they didn't do what they preached. In Matthew 23, verse 3, it says, So you must be careful. This is Jesus speaking. You must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. I want you to know today that it is possible to be a person who's so eloquent in their preaching and their teaching but not put into practice what you know. And this is so dangerous. So it is true today. The best teachers are not always the best doers. The best teachers are not always the best doers. And we know this. Those of you who love soccer, who love football, the best soccer coaches are not always the best players. There are a lot of guys who are star players and they assume, hey, let me become a coach. But they're not great as coaches. Now, there are some who are good at both, of course. Right? So we have assumed that people will automatically do what they've come to know. It's a mistake we make also as preachers. We think, but I've preached this so many times. Why aren't people doing it? It's because there's the technology of doing. There's the technology of getting things done, you see. And that's what I'm going to teach on this particular series. How do you translate your knowledge into action? All right. Unfortunately, many people have deluded themselves into thinking that because they know and because they even teach, it means they are practicing it. It doesn't mean you're practicing it just because you have lots of knowledge about a particular thing. In the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 37, it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? I believe that this was the key. This was one of the main keys when it came to the early church revival. I believe that this was one of the main keys. They were doers of the word, you see. And the first thing they asked after Peter had preached that great sermon, the first thing they asked is, brothers, what shall we do? And I believe that that's a key question we need to ask ourselves when we listen to a message being preached, when we get revelation from the word in our time of devotion, personal devotions, key question to ask is, how now shall I live? How now shall we live? What should we do differently? So I believe that one of the keys to the early church revival was their responsiveness to the word. Their responsiveness to the word. You see, your responsiveness to the word is seen in the degree to which you repent and renew your mind to a new way of life. It's seen in the degree to which you repent and renew your mind to a new way of life. 
And I believe God is calling us in this season to be responsive to his word. What are you doing with the words that you have received? What are you doing with the knowledge that you've acquired? I believe that true learning is the acquisition of knowledge, yes, with the resultant change of attitude, values, and behavior. You see, many people think they've learned a lot because they've studied a lot. That's just a part of the learning process. That's acquisition of knowledge. And you can't really learn without acquiring knowledge. So that's important. But there are many people who are accumulating a lot of knowledge, but few people who are doing what the knowledge says they should do. All right. So true learning is the acquisition of knowledge, which has a resultant change of attitude, values and behavior. So as I'm discipling my children, for example, that's one of the things I'm conscious of. Are they doing what they now know? I've been giving them quizzes and tests throughout this vacation period. It was a strategy the Lord uh, gave us. And it's been so powerful realizing, wow, they're getting 90%, 80%. And uh, it's powerful stuff, deep stuff that they're going into. You know, the trustworthiness of the Bible and uh, servant leadership and all these topics. And I used my skills uh, just from the academic side of things in terms of, you know, marking their work and, you know, like proper tests. Obviously, they're motivated by the rewards that they get as a result of it. But the point is the real test of their learning is seen in their doing. If I give them a test with regards to servant leadership, how responsive are they? When their mom asks them to do something, are they quick to serve or are they slow? All right. Um, so true learning is the acquisition of knowledge with a resultant change of attitude, values and behavior. It's not enough, ladies and gentlemen, to just know the word. We need to do the word we have come to know. We need to be doing the word that we have come to know. In your life, let me ask you this question, in your life, what is the ratio between knowledge and practice? Are you that person who, for example, is low on knowledge, but also low in action? You know, there's some people like that. And that's a sad place to be because ignorance is not bliss, you know, in the kingdom of God. You can't say, I don't want to know a lot because I know I'm accountable for what I know. So I don't want to know a lot because you can't really do what you don't know. So the starting point is knowing, knowing what is right, what is wrong, what are good values, what are bad values. So what's that ratio between knowledge and practice in your life? Are you a low knowledge person and a low, no, and a low uh, action person? Are you low knowledge and high action? You know, there's some people who are very zealous, high in action, but they're clueless. And sometimes that can be dangerous. How many of you know that? Sometimes it can be dangerous if you're low on knowledge, but high on action. Okay, but it's not the worst state to be in. You know, there's some people who are fairly ignorant not that clued up, but they're doing a lot with the little that they know. And that's okay. Then you have mid-level knowledge and mid-level action. I believe that many Christians are in that space where their, their knowledge of the word is average. right? And their action in terms of responsiveness to the word they know, it's average. Or are you a person who's high knowledge, low action? This is someone who's deceived like a Pharisee. And I'm telling you right now, you've got modern day Pharisees and modern day hypocrites. Okay. Very high on knowledge, but low when it comes to action. So what is our goal? Our goal is to be high knowledge and high action people. And possibly the Bereans in scripture were like this. 
and I'll talk about them a bit later on, okay? Because they studied the word of God to see if what the apostles were saying was true, all right? They discussed it, they studied it, and I believe they were high on knowledge, but probably also high when it came to action, because they were described as being of more noble character than others. Now, I just want to qualify this by saying there's also the fool. The Bible talks about someone who's the fool. Now, we shouldn't be going around calling people fools, okay? The Bible says we mustn't do that. But there's also the fool who thinks he is high on knowledge. He's high when it comes to knowledge, but is actually low knowledge, big mouth, and low action. Okay? You know those people, right? They, they know it all. They think they know a lot, but they're actually low in knowledge. They've got big mouths. And they're also low when it comes to action. So watch out for those people. In Proverbs 18 verses 6 to 7, it says, The lips of fools bring them strife, and their mouths invite a beating. The mouths of fools are their undoing, and their lips are a snare to their very lives. Be very careful. That's why Jesus says, just let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Don't be quick, too quick to make promises. He says, anything else comes from the evil one and I believe that a strategy of the enemy in our lives is to to empower us to make rash promises and then we are ensnared by the words that we've released I believe that this is the downfall of so many people they say certain things and they make all sorts of judgments all sorts of criticisms and literally their lives end up being shaped by their words because what you release with your mouth will backfire positively or negatively. I believe that it is safer to be a low knowledge person and aware of it than being a low, low knowledge individual who is unaware of their ignorance. Imagine what harm you can cause if you're clueless, but you're unaware that you're clueless. You know, if you say to me, Paul, can you rewire my house in terms of the electricity? And if I say, mm, I'm sure I've got this. I'm sure I can do that. Cool. Let me do it. Okay. What am I doing? I'm unaware of my ignorance and I might end up doing something so harmful to your house. Next time you touch a wire or try to use your kettle, you get zapped. All right. It's very dangerous. There are many people um, preaching, writing books, doing all sorts of things because they're unaware of their ignorance and they're deluding and deceiving many people, causing great harm. Remember what the Bible says about those people who lead a child to stumble. Okay, very strong words Jesus uses. He says it's better for, um, your, for you to be tied to a millstone and um, literally drowned, okay, than cause one of these to stumble. And how many people are getting up, blurting out all sorts of things, even in social media, but they're actually ignorant, all right? Let's be careful of that. So I believe that you become a dangerous person if you're ignorant but unaware of your ignorance. In James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers. Why? My fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Right? So we can be high on knowledge, but that's fine. And it feels good to know a lot. But just remember, there's accountability with regards to what you know and what you've learned. You can go to a wonderful church, listen to wonderful sermons, but you're accountable for what you have been taught 
all right? We will be judged more strictly, those of us who position ourselves to be these wonderful marriage coaches, these wonderful um, leadership coaches, or whatever else we are. We will be judged more strictly because we are placing ourselves into a position where we are saying, hey, we know stuff. Guys, this is what you must actually do. No, 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 don't do that. Do this. Okay, well, let's see what your life is like, right? In James chapter 4, verse 17, it says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. It is sin for them. Can you see? That's where there's accountability for what you know. It's a different matter at times when someone has never been taught something and is completely clueless and doesn't know, doesn't actually know. It's a different story. All right. And I'm going to unpack this in scripture just to show you uh why it's a different story okay but the scripture here says if anyone then knows the good they ought to do how many of you gained knowledge in 2020 how many of you learned about many things in terms of what you should do as a believer it says if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it it is sin for them are there certain things that were not sin for you but have become sin for you since you gained certain knowledge just think about that Okay, um, so there's accountability the more we know and the more we grow and the more we learn. In Luke chapter 12, verses 47 to 48, it says, The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. Okay, so there are consequences when you don't do what you know you should do. Okay, but... The one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. So ignorance is not bliss. It's just that the consequences, or you might call it punishment as it were, all right, um, is, is not as heavy as someone who actually should have known better. And that's why sometimes we can be firmer with our older children who should know better and should be setting an example for the younger ones, okay? Um, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. Do you get lots of revelation from the word? Much is expected in terms of your lifestyle, right? Are you in a great church where there's good teaching, where there's sound doctrine? Much is expected, right? Um, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And that's why every time you've finished reading a book, every time you've listened to a sermon, ask God for the grace to do what you have learned to do. Ignorance is not bliss, but we should be doers of the word and not just hearers only. So the key question to ask after hearing the word is, how now shall I live? How now shall I live? If you hear a series, as I mentioned earlier on, on divine healing, the key question to ask is, how now shall I live? What should I be doing differently? Right? Other questions that you could ask are, what things need to change in my life? You know, what's my new start to-do list? What's my stop to-do list? These are key questions to ask so that we become doers of the word. I don't want to be deceived. I'm sure you don't want to be deceived either. Some people are aware of the responsibility that goes with hearing the word, so they choose not to hear it, okay? Now, this is problematic because you can't practice the word you don't know. In the kingdom, ignorance is not bliss. You cannot say, oh, well, I didn't know, therefore, you know? 
I've been there before where I remember driving uh, quite fast in a particular area, you know, where the speed limit is maybe 60 kilometers an hour and you, you're driving at 80. Okay, it was one of those cases and I wasn't aware of it, right? Uh, and I think I got a ticket or something, but I couldn't say to the person like, well, I, I wasn't aware of it or I didn't see the sign, okay? No, it's your responsibility to know. It's your responsibility to know. And that's why we all need to be in the word so that we know how we should live, right? So <clears throat> what I want to give you, I want to give you seven characteristics of doers of the word. Seven characteristics of doers of the word. If you want to measure whether you're truly a doer of the word, not just a hearer, um, measure yourself against these seven things that I want to mention to you. The first is this, doers of the word recognize the source of the word. They recognize the source of the word. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, the Bible says, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God which is indeed at work in you who believe, okay? So as a result, they don't treat the word of God like any book that they can be indifferent towards, okay? They're conscious of the fact that they're receiving the very words of God. And this makes them completely submitted and yielded to the word. This is so, so important. Even the word that is preached, that spoken word that is preached, what is your posture toward it? Is it just like some novel that you can critique? You know, is that your attitude? Or is there a mindset of, Lord, I've been expectant. Lord, I know you're going to speak to me today. Lord, whatever is aligned with your word as, and properly dissected in terms of Bible interpretation, Father, may it have its way in me. I'm submitting to this word. This is so important. And this was the word delivered by men, hey? It's not like an angel just came and preached this word. Actually, they actually say, uh, which you heard from us, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word. This is so, so important, so crucial. So that's the first thing. Do you recognize scripture as coming from God? Or do you see it as just, hey, you know what? Um, this is another novel with nice ideas, right? The second aspect of doers of the word is doers of the word mix the word that they've heard with faith. It's mixed with faith. Let me tell you something. The word will not work in your life if you don't have that faith to actually believe that this is God's work and this is God's word and let him do what he wants to do in me. God's word is powerful. It's dynamic. right? It's effective. It's life-giving. It's important to actually believe that. Otherwise, one person will be so convicted and will say, wow, my life has changed. And then you preach to someone else or someone else reads the word and it's like empty. And then we start thinking like, oh, that preacher is anointed and this one isn't, when it's actually to do with the state of the heart of people. And I see it as a preacher. I see it as a preacher. I can preach the same message and it goes over someone's head but with someone else, they say it was life-changing. Our whole, our whole world has changed. Thank you so much for that message, right? Remember the parable of the sower. It's to do with the heart of the people, right? The seed is often fine, but very often it's your heart condition. What is your posture when it comes to receiving the word? Have you mixed it with faith? 
I see it in services. We even see it as we in those pre-service uh, prayer meetings, right? You know, there's some people say, I know, Lord, you're going to speak to us today. We're so expectant and so on. And their lives change. And then there are others where it's just, you know, it's routine. You know, we're just doing what we've always done. In Hebrews 4, verse 2, I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Same gospel. But the word which they heard did not profit them. Why? Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Right? Same message. It profits one person, doesn't profit another. What's the missing thing? Faith. Faith. I want to make sure that this year and in the years to come, each time I hear God's word, I'm mixing it with faith. I'm believing that this is God's powerful word. He's the source and I'm mixing it with faith. So important. The third characteristic of uh, doers of the word is that doers of the word create a system for remembering it. They create a system for remembering it. You can't do the word if you keep forgetting it. They're like a person who looks at themselves intently in the mirror. So they're studying the word, they're looking at it, but afterwards they forget how they look. How many of you have been doing that? You hear a powerful message about your identity, but the following week you've forgotten. You've forgotten about it. You've forgotten who you've become in Christ. All right. So it's important to actually create a system that helps you to remember the word that you've received. This is so, so important. Okay. You can't do the word if you keep forgetting it. Therefore, it's useful to do the following things. And I just want to give you some tips here. <clears throat> Write it down so that you can revisit it. The way you remember something is through continuously revisiting that particular thing. Now, if you haven't got your own notes, right, if you haven't got a record of that particular thing, it's going to be difficult to remember it. It's going to be difficult to remember it. And I, all, I, I know that we think we're superhuman and, you know, yes, you know, if the word is powerful, you know, by osmosis or something, you know, it'll transform me because it's God's word and God's word is powerful. Let me tell you something. There's a reason why we need to keep uttering God's word, muttering God's word, meditating upon God's word. It's so that we're continuously revisiting the word and then we're transformed by it. So write it down so that you can revisit it. Secondly, meditate on it regularly. And remember, biblical meditation is to utter and to mutter, to declare it. You're filling your mind with the word of God. It's not the same as Eastern meditation where people blank out their minds. Another thing to do is talk to others about the word you have received. When it's coming out of your own mouth, you're more likely to remember it than when you're just listening to someone else talking about it. Some people want to, Paul, you've got, this, people say to me, Paul, you've got such a good memory. How do you remember this? And how do you remember that? And how do you remember that? It's largely because I talk about it a lot, all right? I'm always teaching. I'm always coaching. I'm always counseling. I'm always sharing. And the more you talk about the word, the more you talk about something, the more likely you are to remember it, all right? Uh, and then next, pray through the word that you have received this is so so important i want to encourage you guys sign up for our daily prayer meetings all right for example monday nights we've got one at 7 p.m and very often the monday night prayer meeting we use that to pray the word that we've received on sunday sign up it's zoom prayer meetings that we have okay if you don't have the information contact us we'll give you the information right check our website and you'll see all the details it's so important to be praying through the word 
that we've received. Pastor Wimbai makes uh, lovely strategic prayer points for us, okay, that you can access from our website. Have a look at those. Pray through them, right, so that you get the word into you. So, so important to do some of these things. There are other things that you can do. A key thing is to just ask yourself, what should I do as a habit to get this word into my spirit? What should I start doing as a habit to get this word into my spirit? I can't do it for you. You know yourself. You know how you remember things. There are a lot of things in the corporate world that you remember and you've got a system for remembering it. So I want to encourage you, doers of the word, create a system for remembering the word. The fourth thing that they do is doers of the word dig deeper after hearing it. You know, what's so powerful and potentially rewarding for any preacher is when you know that people then go home and they study the word further. They dig deeper so that they can apply it to their everyday life. Okay, so digging deeper involves personal study and discussion with others. And that's why we encourage people to be part of small groups. All right. To be part of small groups, whether they're happening online or happening in a group setting. All right. And I know at the moment with all the lockdown rules and social gatherings, etc., we're trying to avoid that. But there's so much that you can still do uh, online. Right. Uh, with each other. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Why? Why were they described as having more noble character? It says this. For they received the message with great eagerness. That's the first thing. And examined the scriptures. That's the second thing. Every day. That's the third thing. To see if what Paul said was true. Isn't that powerful? All right. So they were described as being of noble character because of this. You see, what do you do with the word that you receive in your devotions or after hearing a Sunday message? What do you do with the word that you've received, right? Because here's the principle. What you do with the word you have received reveals your character. They were described as being of noble character because they received the word with eagerness and they examined the scriptures and they did so daily. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Be passionate, be eager about the scriptures that you've received. Examine the scriptures. In other words, dig deeper. Do word studies. There's only so much that I can teach, for example, or whoever's preaching can teach um, with the few minutes that we have together, right, on a Sunday. But there's so much more that you can do when you do this, when you, when you study further. And um, I'm quite blown away by certain people, what they do. They'll say to me, you know what, uh, Paul, we listened to your message. I've now listened to it about three times. And you see there's such transformation that takes place. Oh, each time I listen to it, I get something new. You hear people saying that. Oh, I listened to the message. Then what I love doing is downloading the PDF notes from the website and then going through it. Oh, and then I passed it on to so-and-so. Oh, then we had a discussion about it. That's when you make sure the word is profiting you. You're profiting from the word. Okay? It's so important. That's how you get to a place where you're profiting from the word of God. Right? A lot of people, the word of God is useless to them because they're not like the Bereans. They don't have that noble character where they receive it with eagerness and then they uh, examine the scriptures, right? Uh, and they do so daily. So important. Right? Allocate time for this. So what you do with the word that you've received 
reveals your character. Would you say when it comes to being like the Bereans, you're that person who's of noble character? I'm telling you, if we don't do these things, if we don't have this mindset, we will just be hearers of the word, will not be doers. These are not my words. These are Jesus' words. These are Jesus' words. And we need to place a premium on uh, getting things done. And one of the things I want to do is to get the word done in my life. Okay, that's the starting point. Um, next week, we'll talk about other aspects of having a bias toward action. We'll talk about overcoming procrastination and other things like that. But for now, I want to focus on being a doer of the word. Okay. So what you do with the word that you've received reveals your character. The fifth characteristic of doers of the word is that doers of the word are faithful custodians who pass on what they've learned. There's something about teaching what you have learned, not in a prideful way, right? Uh, you know that when you listen to a message, you only retain a small percentage of what you've heard someone say, even if it's just a lecture that you've listened to. But it's been said that when you teach what you now know, you retain 75% of it. And I know that there's lots of research that has been carried out and so on, so you might argue with me in terms of those, um, those stats. But it's a basic guideline that you retain more when you teach. Now, it's not just about teaching. It's about being a faithful custodian, a faithful steward of what you now know. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, it says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Imagine the discipleship process that's there. That's actually four generations of discipleship. Can you see, Paul taught Timothy. And he's instructing Timothy and saying, Timothy, teach people, right? Or entrust this message to people, right? Who'll be able to teach others also. That's four generations of discipleship taking place. In Colossians 3 verse 16, I'm reading in the ESV. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That word richly means uh, in abundance, okay? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So the teaching and the admonishing is one of the one another's. It's not just pastors who teach. We teach one another. Okay, it's something that happens in the community of believers, right? And that word admonish is a very powerful one, which I'm going to unpack uh, just now. In all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So what does a Christian community look like? Well, very often, one of the key characteristics of a Christian community is that there's worship happening, okay, in terms of the singing songs aspect of worship. It says singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, okay? So there's that. Just picture that, okay? Worshipping together, worshipping together. But at the same time, there's also people who have great knowledge of the Word because it says, let the Word of God dwell in you richly. So not just, you know, I only know a little uh, that verse and that verse. No, in abundance. And it overflows and you teach each other and you admonish each other. Now that word admonish is an interesting one. And I want to unpack it. It's the word nutheto, right? That's where we get the concept of nuthetic counseling from. Nuthetic counseling is where you use the word to counsel people. Nutheto literally means to warn, to counsel, to exhort. Okay, so we are called to use the word to warn people, to use the word to counsel people, to use the word to exhort people. All right. 
And um, sometimes what this atmosphere does is it actually creates accountability. It creates accountability. I want to encourage you, if you're not part of a small group setting or an accountability triplet, whatever you want to call it, where you've got people in your life, where you're sharing and you're admonishing and you're warning and you're counseling each other through the word, do it. This is part of the discipled Christian life. If you're a true disciple, this is what you do, okay? No excuses, no exceptions, no, ah, in this season of my life, I just do it by myself, uh-uh, right? We need to do these things if we are Christians. Um, the sixth characteristic of doers of the word that I want to highlight is that doers of the word apply it practically to all aspects of life. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All scripture is God-breathed, so he's the source, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's sad today how many people will say things like, yes, I, yes, I know what the Bible says, but let's be practical. No, the Bible is very practical. That's why the Bible here is saying it's useful for teaching people. Any topic, parenting, marriage, business, it's useful for teaching people. That's actually one of my passions is to show people that the word can comment on any aspect of life. Okay, It's useful to teach people. It's useful to rebuke people using the word. Okay, When you're disciplining your children, use the word. Show them that this is wrong. This is why this is wrong. This is why that is wrong. Okay, uh, So important for correcting, for training in righteousness. Okay, the Bible is very practical and it applies to all aspects of life. You can't say, I just want to read the word so that I understand prayer or so that I understand um, how to heal the sick, so that I understand the so-called spiritual things. You can also say, I want to read the word so that I understand how to be a good employer. In my book, Business God's Way, I've got a whole section on integrity in business where uh, I'm, I literally unpack a whole lot of scriptures around what is expected from an employer in how they relate to their employees and what is expected from employees in how they, rela they relate to employers. It's all in the word. So doers of the word apply it practically to all aspects of life, which is so, so important. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 to 14, it says, anyone who lives on milk, still being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, now, what do the mature do? It says, who by constant use, constant use of what? Of the word, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. One of the ways we become mature is by using the word of God. I want to encourage you, wage war according to prophecy you've received. Wage war according to the word. Uh, create crafted prayers based on the word. Pray the word. Declare the word. Sing the word. Use the word. Through constant use of the word, you mature. Otherwise, you remain a baby spiritually. The seventh characteristic of doers of the word, doers of the word assess themselves based on the word that they've received. Now, here's the thing. One of the marks of any great team and any great individual, really, is that uh, we are strong when it comes to self-assessment. Self-assessment. You see, you become what you measure. If you want to create a certain culture in a team of yours, 
then uh, you need to be measuring the right things. If you want to become a certain type of Christian, you need to be measuring the right things. You become what you measure. Self-assessment and self-examination are major keys when it comes to personal growth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Now, that's based on what? How do I examine myself? You know, is it navel gazing? Is it, um, you know, just being introspective? No, it's the measure I must use isn't my feelings, isn't my emotions. It's the word of God. So examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Now, here's the thing. When I test my kids, when I test my, my clients or my students at the business school I'm involved in, um, there's a marking rubric that they need, right? They want to know how are we going to be marked? What's the guideline for this particular assignment, for example? You know, uh, how many marks for this? How many marks for that? They're interested in that because they want to know what do I need to study? What should I focus on? When I'm answering this particular question, should I go in depth or not? With the tests that I've been giving my kids uh, around the word of God and uh, the Christian life, kingdom life, and so on. They like to ask me that. Dad, you said you're going to test us on this, but do we need to unpack it and explain it? Or can we just give you the highlights? Okay, they want to know that. In the same way, how do we examine ourselves? It has to be based on the word. It can't be based on some other type of measure. So if I'm examining my marriage, I need to have the word of God as a mirror to say, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And I measure myself against that, not against uh, my neighbor, not against my friend, not against, oh, that person who's having a hard time in his marriage in the church. No, based on the word of God, that's the standard. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. This is a biggie, hey, because there are certain people who are churchgoers. They listen to a lot of preaching, but they're no longer in the faith. I mean, he's speaking to the, the Corinthian church here. He's speaking to believers, but he's still saying, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Because there are a lot of believers who are no longer in the faith, unfortunately. Okay? I believe that when you use and apply the word in your life, you are more likely to be blessed with greater levels of revelation of the word. Why? God gives you more as you faithfully use what you already have. This is so important. God gives you more as you faithfully use what you already have. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be doers of the word and not just hearers. And even these seven characteristics of doers of the word, let, let your grace be released, Lord, over each person who's heard this message so that we are really doers of the word. Help us to create systems, Lord, for remembering your word and for doing it. Father, help us to see you as the source of the word. We open our hearts to you, Lord, and we say, come, have your way, transform us this year. I pray right now for every single person who's feeling anxious, every single person who is paralyzed by fear. And in the mighty name of Jesus, I release you from fear and I release and activate faith. I thank you, God, that as they hear your word, faith will arise in your people. Right now, we pray for protection and preservation of your people. We thank you, Father God, that you are placing us in a place of immunity against any virus, any sickness, 
any disease. I thank you, Father God, that we will speak hope and life to the nations during this time. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I want to encourage you, use this time not to retreat in your faith, but to actually grow and develop yourself. Make a decision that as we go into 2021, we'll be strong when it comes to prayer. I've shared with you and encouraged you many times, we need to be attending more and more prayer meetings so that we are being boosted by each other with regards to our faith and becoming doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. So uh, please uh, sign up for the prayer meetings uh, via Zoom, uh, daily prayer meetings that we are having. I encourage you to do so. I encourage you to pray through this word and discuss it with other people. God bless you as we embark on the series on getting things done. And next week we'll be talking about how to overcome procrastination. I think that applies to lots of people. God bless you. We love you lots.